Welcome, everyone. This is Mia Ferraletto, publisher of New Observations Magazine. Welcome to the New Observations Podcast. Today, I am delighted to um, bring to you Lucinda Laughing Eagle Morel, who um, I got to meet two, two years ago uh, at our conference on the Pine Ridge Reservation. Uh, Lucinda is the co-host of Timeless Esoterica and a shamanic practitioner. She is um, a fine example of um, one of the the fantastic women involved in spiritual shamanic practice. And I welcome you to the show, Lucinda. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am, I am doing really well. Really well. And um, you're in California? <laughs> yeah, that's why I say really well, because there's actually sun outside. <laughs> and I know, <laughs> I know that a lot of people are going through a lot of snow. <laughs> You've missed the ice and snow. Yeah, I'm currently in Vermont, and we we became popsicles for a few days, and the sun was out here today. So I am delighted to um, to have you on the on the program and to share have invite you to share um, your knowledge and experience with us. I'm particularly interested um, as we are saying goodbye to the patriarchy and really welcoming more and more women claiming their role um, in their leadership role in countless ways uh, in America and around the globe. And I I would like to begin by you asking um, um, or by sharing, sorry, your background and how you became involved in in shamanic work. Um, Interestingly, shamanic work started for me the the literal day that the realization of my contact experiences um, started, which, which I always find pretty interesting. So I'll say first, I have this, a tenant, which is you're never given the problem without also being given the the tools of the solution, right? So everything's every problem you have is really just a a puzzle that you need to put together. And uh, the way the shamanic path kind of opened was um, after I had I was doing a reading for a client. I do mediumship readings. And I did a mediumship reading for a client. And in that reading, I saw, okay, I saw somebody that had passed from from her past, somebody in her life. And I did that reading and I explained the person. And then she validated who the person was and we made that connection and that was great. And then I said, you know, there's somebody here. Um, and I explained the person. And I I work a lot with energies and just energy in, in particular. And I said, uh, a human 
soul who has passed vibrates at a certain resonance in my mind's eye or my sense or however we communicate in these in this manner and i said so this is a man standing here in the corner and i can see him but he's doing this thing where he's fuzzing out his face and every time i try to get kind of closer to look at him he kind of pulls back and i said i'm fascinated by this because even though this man is presenting himself as a man this is not a human the the energy signature of this being is vibrating as at a resonance that is is um i said on it frankly is make me a little nervous cuz <laughs> I'm used to kind of being able to pinpoint these things or kind of gauge these things. And this guy's kind of like blowing me out of the water with his vibrational resonance. And she said, um, I'm an abductee and that's who takes me. Oh, wow. And I said, and I said, what? And she goes, you, you described him to a T. She goes, I, I refer to him as her handler. Because what happens is she'll go to sleep and then he'll come to her and she knows he comes to get her and accompanies her on the ships when she gets taken and then she comes back. And and this is like, this is the age old story of he'll be there, she'll be on a ship, something, they put something in her, she wakes up the next day and it'll turn out she won't have a period for five months and then he'll be back and then she goes up again and then they um, extract her baby and then he brings her back down and she goes, we call him the handler because he takes care of her in these moments but actually, this, so this very traumatic kind of thing is happening yet he's with her and so it's this weird relationship that I just thought was like uh, and I and that was that was when I was like what you what are you talking about like like aliens and and she was like yeah and then we went down that whole path now the next thing out of my mouth to her was I need a shaman and she said I know a really good one and she can help you. And the reason why this was so profound is because in the five months leading up to that particular reading, five months prior to that, random morning, I'm blow drying my hair and very clearly this word comes to me and it says shaman. And I literally, Mia, like put the blow dryer down and put up my hands and I said, oh no. Oh, no, 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 I don't, I, what is that? What is that? Nope, I don't, what is that? And, and that was, you know, when, when I received these messages, they're that clear, right? Um, oh, man, like, oh, yeah. I know something's coming. Uh, you, you're just like, oh, man. So I said, okay, tell me more. And, of course, like, silence, radio silence. And then, like, a month later, out of nowhere, it's just like, shaman. I remember it was like the September shaman, October shaman, November, it was, you need a shaman. And I, and I was thinking, 
I don't even know a shaman. Like, who do I know? Like, I met, I had met one in Sedona when I was there years back, but, and then in December it was like, no, she's a woman. The shaman is a woman. And then I thought, oh my God, that's even worse. Where am I going to find a female shaman? And like, what, like, what is that? You know? And then just like in January, have that reading. She tells me this ET thing. The next thing out of my mouth was I need a shaman and she knows the female shaman. And it was when those two worlds collided, they came together. So from that, the new path emerged, which was I needed to understand my role in this whole ET UFO phenomenon world because I had had experiences my whole life. And my father had been taken on the ship and just the whole the, the whole um, story. In fact, my dad told me the day in like 1986 or something, he told me the day that he was abducted. And he, he even said like, daughter, I had this dream last night, but it wasn't really it was so real. And he goes, did you see lights in front of the house? Did you see a bright light last night in front of the house? And I was like, well, no, because, you know, the house I grew up in, the, the bedroom windows would, were facing the front yard, my room on one side and my parents' room on the, on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, no. And he said, there was a bright light in the front yard, and I went I went out and I was on a ship. And Mia, this is how out of context it was for me. I'm thinking a pirate ship. When my dad said, I saw a ship, I'm thinking a pirate ship. <laughs> that's, where, that's how far from this world my, my mind was. And, and then he talked about the aliens on the ship. And I was like, oh, wait, you mean like a UFO? like a flying saucer thing? And he said, yeah. And he go, and he explained. And on it, there's these panels, like window panels, but you're looking through it, and it's a different moment in time. And I could see, like, ferns, and I could see something like a, a boxer from the 1930s, and I could see um, a future one where things looked really different, and there was no buildings, and everything was just kind of overgrown, and like, like he was having all these experiences, and then he mentioned the aliens, and he goes, the first only thing he could say was like, oh, their eyes, and I said, what do you mean, and he goes, they have these really big eyes, and they talk to you with your mind, and I was like, Keep in mind, you know, I'm a kid when this is happening. I'm probably like 12 when my dad's sharing this. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, they don't move their mouth. They don't really have much of a mouth. He said, they just talk to you with your mind. And he was explaining telepathy in the way that he could, you know. And he said, you know, on top of these panels, there was Egyptian writing. That's how he explained, like, the hieroglyphics or the language or, you know what I mean? Like that, um mm-hmm. That's the story. And then it's, it brought to mind that childhood experience. He told me that. And I remember it must have been like a year later or something. I came home from school. Right, you know, I was a latchkey kid. Uh, came home from school. It was like 3 o'clock. I turned on Channel 7 and, you know, uh, Oprah's on. And she's got Whitley Strieber. And he's showing the cover of Communion. 
And that was the picture that my dad drew like the year before when he got, when he had his abduction dream. And I remember like waiting for my dad to come home and then he gets home from work and I was like, dad, let's go to Romans, which was like the, you know, local Pasadena bookstore. And I was like, let's go to Romans and get this book because this guy, there's this book and it's the dream. And it's like, remember your abduction when the aliens came and blah, blah. And we did this whole thing and I thought it was really interesting because he said, mm, okay, we'll go tomorrow. He did one of these things, right? And then the next thing I knew, the book was in the house. So I think he wanted to go alone to get it, you know? Uh-huh. And, and uh, he wanted to check way. it out first. Yeah. Before yeah. involving yeah. you. Yeah. And it just, I mean, the synchronicities of that journey, the, the year before that abduction story, I had, I was walking to school, again, latchkey kid, right? My parents were already at work by the time I had to wake up by myself, and I was like in fifth or sixth grade, which, you know, would never happen today. But in the 70s or in the 80s, that's how things worked. Um, I used to walk to school. And one morning when I was walking to school on the corner, uh, about two blocks from my house, there was a cat laying down on the grass. And I thought, oh, kitty, you know, so I did the, the little animal lover thing that, uh, uh, that I am. I, like, slowly approached, hi, kitty, like, in a, and I got close to the cat, and the cat was laying on its side, and the whole back half of the cat was gone. And oh, I was so puzzled by what I, by what I was seeing as a child. Like my mind couldn't reconcile what I was seeing. The cat looked like it was sleeping, but right from the middle of the, the cat, it looked like my, my, my childhood mind saw it like a cartoon where the barrel of the rib cage was still round, but it was perfectly sliced, like a perfect slice so that the bone almost looked like tooth enamel. And something about that was really wrong to me, not just that I was seeing this, what should be a gruesome sight, except there was no blood. And so everything was so, God, I almost have like Oz effect thinking about it. Like everything was so odd and strange and different and wrong about what I was seeing that it, it never left my mind. And that must have been like 85, and then I think about 86, my dad has that contact experience, and then like 87-ish, I guess, is when the, the Whitley was on Oprah. I don't know. We'll have to check those dates. But all of this I think his book before was my, published in nine, 19, well, was it around? I was say, it, was like eight, it was late 80s. Maybe it was, yeah, it was. I just recently rewatched uh, the movie Communion a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I, I, for some reason I was thinking that the book came out in 89, but it, it must have been earlier than that. So, I, sorry, I, go ahead, con- continue. Yeah, maybe my dates are off. I don't know. I just know late 80s. Um, yeah. Okay, so, so get this. So now fast forward, and I do this reading for this client, and I have this experience, and she's, so now this whole ET kind of, 
conversation and memories come flooding back to me. And I decide, this is um, January of, I think it was 2016, maybe? 17, 18, 19, yeah. 2015 or 2016. And I decide, I'm going to go to this UFO conference that's coming up in Joshua Tree. And it was Contact in the Desert. And on a whim, I just bought myself a ticket and booked a hotel room to do a little solo trip in the desert. And I just had a moment of like, what the heck am I doing? Right? And so I went on YouTube because I looked at the program and I said, okay, what's going on on YouTube? And I saw one of the speakers and one of the speakers was Linda Moulton Howe. And I was like, okay, that should be something easy to, to YouTube. <laughs> you know, that's a name that'll, that should pop up. And she only like that the night before was on Fade to Black, which is a radio show, a Jimmy Church hosts Jimmy Church. radio show. Right. Yeah. And so I, I put on this YouTube recording of this Fade to Black Jimmy Church radio show, and Linda Bolton Howe is on it. And she's talking about the half-cat phenomenon, which is part of the whole, like, animal mutilation ET phenomenon. Right. And she's talking about the half-cats that were found in, like, you know, even in suburban areas. And I'm thinking, holy cow, I know what that is. I know exactly what that is. I've seen that thing, right? And I go back to that childhood memory. And... That sparks, like, that, I just thought that was so odd. So then it's the conference in the desert, contact in the desert. I'm there by myself. I know nobody. I get my little pass. I take two steps into the conference, and like a black cat crossing my path, Jimmy Church walks right by me, and I just think, oh, that's weird. Okay, there's that guy. Okay, yay, one face I'm familiar. Next thing I know, I'm wandering around, and sitting by herself in a chair in the shade is Linda Moulton Howe. And I say, hello, excuse me, I've seen a half cat. <laughs> and she's just like, what, tell me. <laughs> and, and then, like, the next thing I know, I meet Alan Steinfeld and kind of tell him a little bit about my story. And... And I told him a different story. I told him this story of uh, of how I became, uh, or, you know, how my whole journey started, which was a little before this, that, that got me to doing the mediumship readings and all that kind of stuff. And Ellen goes, you got to tell Whitley your story. So next thing I know, I'm in a golf cart, at contact in the desert with Linda Moulton Howe and Alan Steinfeld, and I'm driving over to the Gaia Studios to meet, to meet Whitley Strieber to tell him my story. That's great. And I just thought, that happened in the span of like four months. No, wait, because January to, I think, yeah, Contact in the Desert is usually in May. So, yeah, five months. And the synchronicities have just completely lined up from there. The shamanic experience. I met with that shaman. Um, I said, um, hold that thought because we're about to take our, our first commercial break. But I, I wanted to, to say you should 
look up when you had that reading with your with your client uh the date um and if if you know astrology yourself look up the planets because obviously that you had a major aspect going on at that time for the, for that event to happen and all of these things to you know begin to move you in a in another direction we'll be right back hold on to the show so lucinda tell us about your uh, female shaman (laughs) (laughs) the um oh gosh you know when you get these intuitive guidances these uh these little messages from beyond that are lovingly guiding you towards your destiny and they tell you you got to go see a shaman and then they put one in front of you so now you have this appointment with this shaman and I think the the morning of I was probably having a panic attack because I realized um, I'm going to go see a shaman and I got no idea what's going to happen <laughs> what, what what am I going to ask her for like what what do I do like I you know I did the thing but I had no idea what was going to happen and so I was really kind of um, praying and saying listen you gotta help me out and the spirit of this uh, Hopi girl I call I call her my little Hopi girl who is a someone that that shows up on my on my journeys a lot who when I asked her who are you she said I'm you (laughs) but it's a whole other it's a whole other conversation she uh, is about 17 and she you know has a lot of attitude and she's so done with me all the time but she said she came to me that morning before I was going to see the this um, well-known shaman and said it's time for you to get your name and I said what <laughs> and she said it's time for you to get your name and she said you're way overdue because <laughs> that particular uh, entity is very um, again she's just totally happy with me and I said okay and she said tell the shaman you need your name and I said okay and I had no idea what that meant I had no idea about like naming ceremonies or anything that I know now basically as a result of all of this but I saw the shaman and had a session with her and it was really lovely and at some point and it was like you know I had to deal the entire beforehand I um, only had contact with the the apprentice of the shaman who prepared me in everything because everything is ceremony as you know right down to what I should be wearing um, payment what I should be eating or drinking beforehand here's how it's going to go down and when you come in you're going to do this and you're going to do this and there's a lot of protocols when you're doing something like this and so one of the things she said was okay she said this about two two weeks before our session she said 
with your permission, she's going to come to you in dream time so she can figure out what you need. Or, you know, she, she will come to you in dream time. Now, Mia, in the way that you have these master manifestation skills, um, I've got master dream skills. Like, that's my forte. That's, that's mm-hmm. my, my epic playground. And so I said, okay. And so she came into the dream, and I remember every detail of the dream, and I remember what she was wearing, and I remember in a very kind of trickster way. The dream was that everyone was going to see this particular shaman, and the crowd was looking at this shaman, and I knew that wasn't the real shaman. And so I turned around and found her and saw her in the dream time. And so I kind of had that, almost that um, introduction to her before we actually met. So that when we actually did have our session together, I mentioned, I I saw you on this day in this, this, and you were wearing this and, you know, in in dream time. (laughs) And she was like, oh, (laughs) you know. And I said, um, I need my name. I'm here to get my name. <laughs> I feel so embarrassed. Like, like, I again, no, I'm talk about rough around the edges. I was just like, yeah, I need my name. And she said, um, and she like stopped and stopped for a beat and like took a minute and then said, I will petition for your name. And I said, okay, great, thanks. Still, no idea what that means. So the session is over, and the shaman is um, in still the ceremonial space. And now I'm outside of the ceremonial space, and I'm putting on my shoes, right? And the apprentice is there with me with, like, you know, some tea and, and waiting for me to take me out of the space. And the shaman says from the other side, from her space, she goes, Oh, Lucinda, you know, don't forget, um, I'm going to petition for your name. And the apprentice has this, like, shocked look on her face. And she looks at me and she mouths, she mouths, did she say she's going to petition for your name? And I said, yeah, like, what does that mean? You know, (laughs) we're making these whispery gestures because we don't want her to hear us, right? And then she goes, she kind of like, you know, nudges me and she says, come outside, you know, like she nods toward the door, like, let's go outside. And so we go outside. And she says, is she going to petition for your name? And I say, yeah, what does that mean? And then she says, it means she's going to petition for your name. And she goes, I've been apprenticing for her for five years. She's had people that have been apprenticing for her for 20 years, and she won't petition for their names. She goes, who are you? And she says, I'm nobody. (laughs) 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 I'm just like, I need somebody to explain, like, is this this a big deal? Like, what is this? And like, am I going to, am I going to have to do something I really don't want to do to, you know, like, what am I signing up for? Right which is all part of the adventure as, as you know, as you know, as someone who does 
puts together the uh, consciousness and contact heat conference. It's you're just signing up for the adventure. You don't know what, what's going to happen, and you got to be able to roll with it. But that that started me on the shamanic journey. So in the same way that when I learned I was a medium, um, before dealing with anybody, I wanted to know, okay, so this mediumship thing is real. What is the ethical practice? How do we do this? I feel uncomfortable when I see those TV shows and someone's at a coffee shop and they just go like, hey, your dead grandma says blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want to be intrusive in people's world like that. So right. let's, figure out the, let's figure out the way to do this properly. And so I had found a woman who hand-selects her classes, and she has a what I called psychic school. So I went to psychic school for two years and, and studied under this woman who kind of guided us into the different modalities and practices and tapping into energies how to read energies, how to read which are the energies that you want to deal with and which are ones that you'd rather not, how to protect yourself from the bad ones. And that was a, I was a graduate of that program. And so when the shamanic kind of calling came, I remembered something that that shaman had told me in our session. She said, there are many light workers in this world, and that is wonderful, and there is a place for light workers." This is what got me. She said, but we are shaman. We go into the dark places to pull those people and bring them out. Like we are the light and we have to be the light. And so you have to keep the light in your heart and never let it get, always keep the light in your heart because you will be the one that has to go into those dark places and pull those people out that need help. And that really struck me. And so from there, I started um, going to what I called shaman school and just kind of teaching and learning, um, searching for my teachers and trying to learn as much as I can and then help whoever I can, you know. But you really got to know what you're doing before you start tapping into this world because there's so much from an energetic perspective there's so much out there and right now in the time that we're in so many people are now getting this heightened ability and they're tapping into their intuitive powers their psychic powers their whatever whatever gift has been dormant in their bodies is now coming out and we are traditionally like we haven't grown up in a society that says as children what's you know what can you do and guide them towards that you know if I I say if I was raised in a um, I don't know in a native community I'm pretty sure that somebody would have noticed as a child the things that I was doing and said, okay, we need to teach these kids, we need to teach this kid some skills because she is seeing 
spirits and entities and energies that people don't really see. You know what I mean? Somebody would have spotted that in me and would have taught me. And I think a lot of people today have that, but there's no one to teach them. And so well, everyone, everyone has it. It's, it's who we are. You know, we yes. are spirit, spiritual beings living a physical experience. Everyone has these, these abilities, but um, they've been quashed by design, um, you know. Yes. And, and been, they, now they they're being been, activated. They, they have been falsely allowed. We've been sold the story that it doesn't exist. And therefore, people have put themselves in this self-imposed, dormant status. But now, with the world, with the way the world is, with the way energy is now, you can't hide it. And now it's out. And people don't know what to do with it because they have never been trained for it. It's like like waking up one morning and you have a superpower. You don't really know what it is or how to, and you're searching for your teachers. And what's happening is that people are searching for guidance and they're finding it in the wrong places. And I think that's, that's very place. well said, Lucinda. I, th- I think that's very well said. And, and also in, in terms of mediumship um, or channeling um, going, you know, to a word in the, from the 1960s, People have no mm-hmm. idea who they're connecting to, who or what they're connecting to. You know, they re- many people have not learned discernment and, um, you know, truly cannot identify where the communication is coming from. It's discernment. It's learning to connect to your own higher self so that you can practice and hone Home that that discernment, but one thing that I say to so many people that are kind of new to this, I say, please understand that just because you see it or you can channel it or just because you have something or you can do something that other people don't doesn't mean it's right or it's true. And that is um, something I think is missing from a lot of this narrative. You know, a lot of people think, so there's a lot of like, oh, I channeled this. And then there's this weird assumption that trails with that. I channeled this, dot, 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 so it must be okay. And And I'm here to say, oh, no, 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 don't make that assumption. A lot right. of a lot of bad things have come out of those assumptions. A lot of bad choices, right? And that's why I'm saying that, like you said, the discernment. You need to always view this world from the inside out, not from the outside in. Um, I had a, a really. A uh, big lesson a couple of years ago, I met a man uh, at an event who uh, was from an international uh, Illuminati family, 
And we became friends and started to pal around together. And um, I had very strange, I knew there was something about him. There was something that was uh, hidden. And my moon is in Scorpio, conjunct Neptune. You know, I've been told all my life by astrologers that I'm mediumistic and I'm very psychic. I knew there was something there. And after knowing him for about two weeks, I understood that he had multiple personality disorder, but I also understood that he had a demonic attachment. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was real, and it was, you know, actually dangerous. And, you know, I tried to help him, and um, while I was doing... Um, a shamanic retrieval, he, he, in a dream state, um, I had broken some chain, some energetic chains of, of his that he had attached. His father was actually a practicing Satanist and, um, he was abused as a child. But he, at the same time I was doing this energetic work, he was in another state at home and had the dream that he was looking in a pail of dirty dirty water and he was told very clearly, do not put your hands in there again, which of course it took him virtually no time uh, to go back to because he was enthralled with the, the power, you know, that he had from this demonic atta- attachment and he did not want to give it up. And yeah. literally, we'd be out, we were out in a restaurant one night and he had colored chalk and he took the piece of chalk and just ran it across the paper tablecloth, you know, that a lot of restaurants have drawing crayons right, or right. drawing utensils for people to draw on the tablecloth. And literally, he's just moving. He's not drawing. He's dragging the, the chalk across the, the paper. And burning figures from hell were tumbling out of the line of, Chalk, <laughs> literally, <laughs> and um, it, it was the second time that I had a, a real wake-up call like that that showed me exactly what's going on here. Um, yeah. So here's here's the great. Uh, here, here's the um, the grand intelligent deceit play that happens from those um, from that other side is when you hear for a lot of people when you hear demonic possession. Immediately what comes to mind is this image in people's head of like some sort of religious dogma and some sort of control element. Now, when I talk about how people have lost their, um, their ability to utilize their, their uh, soul gifts because there has been no teaching, well, there has been no teaching because at some point and probably 
due to religious dogma. At some point, as a control element, somebody in a clerical position saw um, maybe a bunch of uneducated farmers and said, we can't have them messing with this kind of stuff. So we're going to create these rules and say, just follow these rules. Don't touch this stuff. Don't, you know, it's witchcraft. It's this or that. And punishment ensued. And then people were kind of oppressed. And all of that went away. And now it just becomes this weird little myth thing that we, that is kind of in our common society. But yes, that happened. But there was a little bit of a reason for that. That wasn't for nothing. That was for this reason of these things are real, and unless you are fully educated in how to deal with these things, best not to mess with them, right? Because they're going to play to your weaknesses and weaknesses that are weaknesses that you don't even know are weaknesses yet, right? And um, well... Yes and no. I mean, in my particular case, he was drawn to me. I mean, he, quote unquote, you know, kind of picked me up, so to speak. And in fact, um, there was a recruitment uh, on his part, a desire to recruit me in a way, because he recognized, you know, my own abilities, my own gifts. Your power. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, so and he's he's doing his thing, where he his his motive and foundation is power, and he sees somebody that has power, and he wants that power. So he's going to go for that, and that's going to be attracted. You're also you yourself are have a lot of healing aspects to you, and then you something in you spots something in him that needs to be healed, right? So. That's that weird little mutual attraction. One goes to one, one goes to the other. And that's, that's natural, and that's okay. What I'm, so the healer in me does this. In shamanic practice, we, we do those types of extractions for people. But where I'm at now and man, I know what you I know what you're talking about when you especially when you talk that about that person because I have so many people I get a lot of referrals for clients that say something is possessing me and I want you to get rid of it. And that's how things used to go. And I say I'm from a new time and I'm not gonna get rid of it for you. What I will do is teach you how to get rid of it. And I want to teach you how you called it to you. And I want to educate you. On, I want to educate you and empower you because it does nothing if I just get rid of it for you. You're just going to call well, it I, back. I tried um, educating him and informing him. And, in fact, his, his father infected him when he was around three years old. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, gen, it's generational and yeah. and that's, that's now the heartbreak yeah it's the heartbreak and i it's it's interesting because um my first trip to pine ridge he was there with me part of the time and we tried to find a medicine man to help him and no one would help him uh they felt no. it was too too dangerous and actually one said to me you know um 
this is too dangerous for me, but you, he, he said, you have enough energy to do it, but, uh, but it's too dangerous for me. And what, what the defining moment for me happened to be when I realized that he was truly not committed to healing himself. Um, yeah. And that's when I said, okay, fine, you know, hasta la vista. Because it's, it's really all about personal responsibility um, and, you know, how, how we use our energy, how we want, choose to use our energy and the commitment to be responsible. And, um, you know, he was not. That's in that exactly place. right. That's exactly right. We're, we're dealing now with the, um, we're dealing now with the, the, the age of the guru is gone, you know, gone. and we need to empower ourselves individually. And the way the change comes is that I, I do my best to empower myself and you do your best to empower yourself, and we share our stories, and everyone else shares their stories, and everybody's working, and that's how the collective starts to change. But it's, it starts with us individually and then sharing as a community. We need to – I feel really strongly that we need to bring back community, which is we all don't have to agree, but we have to respect one another and understand that we're that, – in truth, we all want the same thing. We all want safety and security. You know, we want we want to be we want to be able to respectfully to voice our to be heard, to voice our opinions without being judged or shamed, and just have the conversation. Because now that people don't want to have the conversation. We don't, we don't talk because we're afraid that we're going to just be put down or yelled at. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I think that's the greatest um, power that the darkness has over each and every one of us, right? So we we got to just free ourselves of that. Well, the alchemical process is for us to transmute our own darkness and mm-hmm. um and we all have that ability um to do it in ourselves and to do it and to do it for others too um to help others do it but um yep. but this particular time period right now is so um chaotic that there, the spin is so great, and um, people are are you know just letting loose any which way, as opposed to quietly you know observing their thoughts, thinking through their feelings and their emotions when they rise up, and you know we're just adding to the to the chaos when we allow that to happen within ourselves. Um, we, we really have to, you know, balance our, our thoughts and our words and our feelings, our emotions right now. It's, it's really critical. And, I, and we really have to see the big picture because I, I think what's happening is 
I use the analogy of like, we're all in this crowd and somewhere in this crowd, there's a three or four little toddlers that are really acting up and, and uh, having a little temper tantrum. And in a civilized, regular community crowd, you don't give the spotlight to the toddlers and then rant and rave in accordance with the toddler. No, you say, okay, the toddlers. So then what do we do? We walk up to the toddlers and we say, how can we help you? <laughs> and then the to- he took my toy. He did this. I did, 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 I'm trying to say this. Is, okay, let's, let's work this out. And the cooler heads prevail. And then we go back to our tranquil state. <laughs> but we're giving way too much spotlight to these toddlers, to this small group of loud, you know, that doesn't necessarily have any of the best interest at heart. Well, it's become accept- acceptable to give them uh, the floor, and that's that's something that we need to seriously think about. Um, in the in the you know, in the time of the internet, it's okay to say anything and post anything, and and just you know, free flow, let let it rip, and and this is what we have as a result of all of that. Yeah. I, I think, and I, I don't know, I hope I'm not wrong, but I think more people understand that. They're just not seeing it in their outside world. But I, I think truly in the vast majority of people's hearts and minds, they're all somewhere kind of in the middle. They feel pretty strongly about some th- certain things, and they just want to be heard. And I'm okay with letting people be heard, you know, um, in a respectful manner. Again, I use that word a lot because it's true, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's very we important. Respect, we, can, we can respectfully hear each other out because we are all human beings, and we are empathetic, and we know we've all been there, you know. And so it's not, it's not hard. And, you know, I think the, the grand lie out there is that doing, having these little conversations with yourself and admitting where you're disappointed in, in yourself or where you could have done better or where you had that bad reaction, having those conversations with yourself and just admitting it and saying, yep, that was a bad idea. <laughs> Let's try to do right. better next time. You know, there is so much powerful healing in those little self moments, in those little conversations with yourself. That self-love, you know, when you can Absolutely. do that for yourself, when you can do that for yourself, you can do that for anybody, well, we, are, and, we wake up each morning with the opportunity to reinvent ourselves. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. And um, that's, you know, that's the optimism that we need to open our eyes each morning uh, feeling. What can I yeah. do today? How can I improve myself? How can I make a contribution to the planet? 
Um, and and I, I want to, in my, um, I want to lovingly, in that loving big sisterly fashion, remind people about accountability. And when you wake up in the morning and you decide, you know, in the spirit of reinvention, you, you need to ask yourself, today am I going to be part of the problem or part of the solution? Right. And just set that intention to be part of the solution and let that guide your day. And, and you know, we, we have to forgive because ourselves. Because it will. So that, yeah. <laughs> it will. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and here's the truth, Mia, and I know you know this the way I know this. The world is not going to let you sit on your butt and wait for something to happen. The time is changing. Energy has net. We are in a new timeline. I know that word, that phrase gets bounced around a, a lot, but it's hard for me to even describe as as someone who perceives energy. There has been an energetic shift that has happened in the last, um, honestly, it started in 2012, but that's, it has moved into now we're feeling it. And we are in a new time and in a new grid as, as the woo woo say, (laughs) you know what I mean? And, it's not going to allow for certain behaviors that have been allowed in the past. We need to really step into who we are. We're being called to action and we're being called to be the compassionate, benevolent, loving beings that we are. And not this kind of like whiny victim. I'm this because right. this happened to me. Like, I'm tired of, I'm this because this happened to me. You know, a lot of bad things have happened to really good people. It has strengthened them and made them the amazing people that they are. It's just a choice. It's Well, as Elizabeth comp- Cooper Ross says, you know, um, humanity has a choice. You can... You can go, life is, you know, going into the tumbler. You, you either come out polished or broken, you know. You put the, the stone in the tumbler. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's really up to you, you know, what that process is going to bring uh, to fruition. That's right. And I, I want to be the shiny, sparkly thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be shiny and sparkly. <laughs> well, I think you and are, I, Lucinda. <laughs> and I, I like to see shiny, sparkly things, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I would so, like yeah. to hear, I would like to hear um, the rest of the, the naming uh, being given your name. Oh, the name story. Okay. Um, okay. Do you, wait. Do we need to break, or should we keep going? Are we good? No. We'll are keep, we on time? We're, we're we're good. We'll we'll keep going. We have another uh, ten or fifteen minutes. So, I, I would really like everyone to be able to hear um, how you got your name. 
so different different um, nations, different uh, native communities, I think have different ways of doing their naming ceremonies. And I, again, I have Native American, um, Native Mexican blood. I was not raised in a Native tradition. So I, I'm a mutt in every way you can possibly imagine. Um, <laughs> and I think we, we've... We've mentioned this before. So my my mother was born in in Mexico. My father was born in Arizona. So I know I have. Um, I think it's Hopi or Navajo um, blood on my dad's side. On my mom's side, it's a Weichel uh, in the Jalisco area. So, what I what I what I tell my native friends is that <laughs> I say, "To you, I'm a lost Indian, but to me, I'm free because that just means that I get to take any element of my bloodline and um, you know and celebrate it the way I want to celebrate it." When I first um, learned of my abilities, it was March of 2012, so it's coming up on my anniversary, and as all psychic stories start, it started in Sedona, <laughs> and I was seeing what, you know, what I, who I mentioned earlier, this spirit of this Hopi girl was on Hopi land. I was having all these crazy experiences. You know, I was on this midlife crisis solo woman's retreat in Sedona and having all this meditative experiences, but also having these really kind of, now I know, um, shamanic and kind of native tradition, spiritual experiences. Uh, at the time, I had no idea. And this Hopi girl was kind of walking with me. I remember we were hiking. We were on a hike and we were going somewhere that was instructor led. So one of the people was we they were leading us on this hike and this Hopi girl's next to me. And you know how when you're on, you're on your hike and you're in your like your zone and you're kind of tuned out and she's walking with me and she's saying telling me about all the plants that I'm walking past and she's saying okay and you know that one and then you you boil it and it takes away your headache and you know we use this one in the ceremony and we do this and did you bring the copal that I gave you yesterday that you found in the hole in the rock and I was just like what like what is this babbling in my head and boy I have some crazy imaginary friends and then the tour guide said well, you know, the native uh, Hopi people use this plant. It's a medicinal plant, and they boil it, and it takes away your headache. And I was like, wait a minute. Like this, this spirit had just kind of told me all the things that we were doing. And she was saying, did you bring the copal, which is a copal resin that I had found the day before that she told me was a gift? And she said, did you bring it because we're going to burn some in the sacred site um, in the altar 
that we're going to. Now, I didn't know this, and so I asked the tour guide on that hike, I said, are we going to an altar? And he said, oh, yeah, you've been here before. We're going to so-and-so, you know, one of the sacred rocks up in Sedona, and there's an altar up there. And I just thought, and that's when I kind of, in you know, in my head, turned to this imaginary friend and said, who are you? And she just looked at me like, you know, like a surly teenager, and she was like, I'm you. <laughs> I was like, okay. And in that, in that particular spirit had not come back to me until this new shaman thing happened. She was the one to tell me, you know, to get, to get my name. Now, the person, the, the shaman that I had seen um, was Apache, a descendant of Geronimo. And it was so funny because I was trying to ask the apprentice, okay, what exactly happens in this naming ceremony? She said, okay, she's going to contact you, and you're going to come and you're going to do a ceremony, and you're going to get your name. <laughs> this is this is going to sound very inappropriate, but I'm just going to tell you the message that I got. So two weeks later, my Hopi girl, and I told you, she's rough around the edges. She calls it like it is, and she's no BS. She comes back to me, and she, she's literally like, you know, in her teenage listlessness, and she was like, yeah, you know, I'm glad she's going to petition for your name. But she's Apache, and she's warring tribe. Go be with your people and get your name. Get your name with your people. And a second later, the phone rang, and it was my sister-in-law who called and said, we're setting up a trip to go back to Sedona, and we want you to come with us. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, so here we go. So I go to Sedona, and all I know is that I have to get my name in Sedona. That's all I know. And once again, wild goose chase, and I get out there, and I there, and I go back to the the person that facilitated my retreat. It's called um, it's called Spirit Quest in Sedona. Kat, Catherine Lash is the owner, and Cat has this gift. Her gift is. You go out there and you say, hey, cat, four-day retreat. And she'll go, okay. And then you get there, and she's got this agenda for you, and she has somehow intuitively put you in connection with all the people you need to know for, your, for whatever you're there for. Mm-hmm. So I meet with um, Fire Eagle, and I meet with Medicine Eagle, and I um, meet with some other folks, and I had I had a particular interesting moment with Medicine Eagle because I was telling him kind of my story, and when I told him the what I told you about the the dream when the shaman had come to me and I saw her in dream time, there was a very profound aspect of that dream that dealt with animals and seeing a kachina and seeing a bunch of animals in reverence to a kachina in that dream. And I explained it to him, and he kept leaving and coming back. 
and leaving and coming back. And he was kind of like interrupting our session. And I just thought, is this normal or like what's going on here? But as we were leaving, he stopped me and he said, I have to apologize to you. And I said, okay. And he said, I had to keep asking if you were a trickster. And I was kind of surprised by that. And he he said, because I've had that exact dream. And he said, but in the dream, you were the Kachina. And I was like, okay. And he said, and he like put his arm on my shoulder and he said, I need to tell you and remind you that you have dominion over the animals. Which I think was really interesting because I went back to that childhood. Like I said, I've always been an animal lover. I went back to that childhood experience of seeing the half cat. I thought that perhaps that was the reason why I was an animal science major in college. But it's always been an aspect of my life. Like animals have always been an aspect of my life. Yeah, I understand that mine too. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're either an animal person or you're not. You know, but when you're really an animal person, you're really an animal person. Yeah, yeah. I have good luck with animals. That's just how I've always seen it. But um, later I had a second session with Fire Eagle. Now, Fire Eagle um, has studied, he's worked with shaman in many tribes all through South America and Africa. And... He is the one that facilitated my naming ceremony. So he lives in Sedona. He works with the Hopi. um, But he's also been, um, he's traveled the world, basically. And he's lived with a few tribes in in, um, African shamanic traditions and Amazonian traditions. And he's just kind of traveled all over, which I thought was kind of apropos because as someone who has a lot of my blood is of different nations and so this is someone who also has studied and practiced with different nations and so it was the same um, I mean without going into too many details it was an initiation I had to go I had to kind of go deep and get very clear on a lot of things and go through that kind of um, like we talk about that, that uh, initiation and that rebirth kind of period. And it's not easy. All anything worth fighting for in any kind of initiation is rough. It's painful. You have to go through some pain and do the birthing process, right? We have to go through our labor pain to kind of come through, you have to die to be reborn. And that is um, that is part of the shamanic practice, you know. And people have these painful shamanic initiations, um, visions of being torn apart by animals or, like, you know, <laughs> they come out this new thing. In, in all shamanic traditions, there's always this rebirthing and this coming into your new self, and it's essential because the tenant, the whole, the bottom line of shamanic practice is 
learn to navigate the worlds so that when you finally leave your body, you know where you're going and you've mapped out where you need to go and you can help those that are stuck and, and heal where you can. Yeah, I think that's true. Definitely. It's, it's preparing yourself for your ultimate journey and to um, help you get past the traps um, that are set along, along the way. Yeah. yeah. In the death process. It's, it's all about, it's all about death. And, you know, I'm Mexican. We love death. <laughs> that's the old, that's the old joke, joke, you know, Mexican, we love death. No, it, you know, it's, it, it's that tradition of understanding that that's the other, you know, we, when we talk about the, the lie or that little deception of um, people not understanding their intuitive psychic uh, gifts, there's also the death process in the soul. You know, as a culture, we've made that, like, taboo to talk about the dead, to understand death and the body and the soul in that process. And I'm all about those conversations, you know. Let's, let's bring that back. Let's engage with that and have that conversation because that's also part of a trap. And we, we need to understand that we are more than our bodies, and we need to understand that just like any muscle, your um, shamanic exercise muscle <laughs> needs to be flexed. You need to go out in those meditative kind of journeys in a safe kind of um, safe manner and know what's out there and know what to do. And that's, that's the practice. And that's why we call it a practice because you're, you're always learning and you're always kind of growing and understanding. And it's amazing the crazy validations that we get um, from doing these things. You know, magic is real, people. Magic is real. Magic is, is definitely real. So um, you, I, I guess, were given the name Lucinda Laughing Eagle. Is that correct? You became part of the Eagle family? You Laughing were talking Eagle. about all mm-hmm. the... Yes. And and that happened yeah. that at that um, retreat that yeah. that with that all ceremony the other happened. eagle with your eagle clan with the eagle <laughs> yep with the with the eagle family beautiful story yeah and experience and who wouldn't want to be an eagle? <laughs> and it's and it's it's interesting that it's well, you know, I had no idea. I never, I never. Well, I should say I had no expectation because I had no idea what was going on, and I didn't know what it what any what any of it meant. But it's funny that since then, um, and especially like two years ago on with the experiences on Pine Ridge and learning about the Lakota and their ceremonies and what happens in their ceremonies. And I just thought, Oh my God, there were so many parallels that I didn't realize were happening. 
but were happening, like like the vision quest and those journeys and like having those experiences and like all that kind of um, that inipi experience of being in the womb and like I actually did all of that. I just didn't call it that, but it's the same practice, you know, different, different traditions. It's different traditions that might call it something different or there's nuances in the details, but all those initiations are pretty much the same. Those ceremonies, those practices, they're, they're all the same at, at their core. So it's pretty, it was, it's been a really fun education. Oh, it's and, and the most it, it always exciting. surprises me. It's the most, you know, amazing parts of our lives, um, as wonderful as everything else is, too, to, to really connect with yourself on a soul level is, is so fulfilling. It, it is. I always, I always say, um, you know, there's always kind of been this, uh, I guess another assumption that we come into this world as, as babies and then we learn as much as we can. And I've never felt that way. I can't, for as long as I can remember, I always feel like I came into this world and my job is just to remember. Like I have already, I've always known it. I just need to remember. Right. You know, instead of learn. And when we hit those little pockets, of experiences that kind of bring us closer on these like soul journeys. Like I just feel like a little part has a little part of the for, forgetful has chipped away and I'm remembering something in it. And I'm, I don't know. I just it makes me feel more whole. It's really, it's really, um, it's such a fun adventure. Well, that's a wonderful place um, to, to leave this discussion and um, I thank you so much, Lucinda, for, for joining us today. Um, we will have um, your information uh, on uh, the website along with this interview, so people will be able to get in touch with you um, if they're interested in having a, a mediumship reading or getting in touch with you um, for shamanic work as well. And um I have a great the great photo of you with the with the daisies or the, the sunflowers, yeah. I can't remember which. <laughs> which we'll post along with it. So people will have a face to put to put with your interview. Oh well thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I I I, I love talking. I love talking to you. I love talking about this stuff. I, this, this is this is so fun for me. <laughs> well, you're 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 just a great speaker, and um, I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you in July. <laughs> we will see you in July. I'm really I'm looking forward to it. That's that's going to be another 
another great adventure for, for everybody. So I, I highly recommend that conference if uh, people in the spirit of adventure, because, you know, don't go in there expecting um, cushy and this is what's going to happen when. you gotta, you got to jump in. There. It's like jumping into a dark pool, and it's going to be great. It is going to be great. So, it's going to be really terrific this year. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you for joining oh, us, wait. everyone. It, me too. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And we will Thanks. have you back again sometime. All right. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Bye for now. Thank you.